Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 10.08 in the AM on the Pacific side of the United States. It is the 30th of September 2022. This is episode 623 of Bitcoin and Misad. Only got two boosts today. So let's let's go with those first. Ptar, Striper Boost, 7,777 Satoshis. Question. Complete collapse of the fiat system is a prerequisite to Bitcoin mainstream ascension? Uh, I don't think you need complete collapse. Uh, just, I don't think it's an on-off switch, Pitar. I, I don't. I don't think it's a binary situation. Now, my sister always says, there's not really any black or white about anything. It's always various shades of gray, and she's not right. And I have yet to actually find something that I can only classify as a binary situation. I, I have yet to find anything that is either one or zero. It's always shades of gray. So what I think happens is that Bitcoin picks up the slack of the shit that's constantly being dropped. And the, the, the wagon that we're, you know, the wagon that we're following, Bitcoin following the wagon of the legacy financial system, as the legacy financial system ejects shit, Bitcoin's just going to be there to pick it up and, and repack it in a way that makes sense. So I don't think you're going to have to have a complete collapse. I think it will eventually collapse, but it will be like it won't be like falling off a cliff. It'll just be sort of like an avalanche rolling down the hill and destroying everything in its path and Bitcoin will come behind and clean everything all the way back up. Uh that's that's my opinion on it. Letter 6173 with a striper boost 7777 sat says Ron Paul was right about everything. Yeah, he was. And he still is. Thank God he's still alive. But, you know, he's not going to be able to run for president and and even if he did, he wouldn't win because people are just because we we live in a corrupt society. That's that's the way it is. But you know who else is right almost all the time? I'm going to say his name, Alex Jones. I used to listen to Alex Jones a lot and I stopped listening. And there was only one reason why he will, he, Alex Jones is the guy that would wake your ass up, slap you across the face and make you look at shit. You didn't want to look at in a way that he was almost entirely correct about almost all the fucking time. I mean, I don't have any more money to put in Alex, Alex Jones was right tip jar but I stopped listening to him because he doesn't have any answers. He doesn't have a single answer of what to do about any of this shit. And that's why I Bitcoin, because that's my answer to how to do this shit. Okay. 
Let's start the news. Central banks can push DeFi into mainstream, according to a Swiss National Bank official, Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. Central bank digital currencies can work well with decentralized finance, and they can have a lot of potential to boost DeFi adoption, according to a Swiss Central Bank official. Okay, I know you guys are, maybe you guys are bleary-eyed because of all the weird shit going on, but I need to read you that again. Central bank digital currencies can work well with decentralized finance, and they have a lot of potential to boost decentralized finance adoption, according to a Swiss central bank official. Can anybody out there tell me what's wrong with this sentence? Oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. Let, let's see how depraved this gets. Among various types of digital currencies, it is CBDCs that could provide more stability and lower risk to the development of DeFi, according to Thomas Moser, a governing board member at the Swiss National Bank. In order to grow, DeFi needs stable money, which is why stablecoins were invented. And stablecoins clearly helped DeFi to become more popular, Moser told Cointelegraph. Despite being polar opposites, centralization and decentralization in digital currencies can actually work together. No, they can't. As centralization is not bad for DeFi, Moser argued. He noted that major stablecoins like Tether and USD coin are the most widely used stablecoins in DeFi, both of which are centralized. Quote, therefore, something centralized has already helped DeFi quite a lot, the Swiss National Bank official stated. Unlike Tether or USD coin, a CBDC would entail lower risks for DeFi than a redeemable stablecoin because central bank money does not entail counterparty risk, Moser said. A central bank cannot go bankrupt since it issues irredeemable money. (laughs) Irredeemable money, he added irredeemable. Yep. Your, your, your entire monetary system is irredeemable. Honestly, God, other types of digital currencies, including cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or shitcoin number one are also irredeemable, which implies no counterparty risk. However, their price is not stable enough to support sustainable DeFi growth. The official noted, Quote, algorithmic stablecoins would also not entail counterparty risk, but so far we have not seen successful algorithmic stablecoins, referring to the collapse of Terra UST in May of 2022. Quote, a CBDC could provide more stability and lower risks than stablecoins, he added. Moser's remarks came shortly after the Swiss National Bank and the blockchain firm Cypherium, oh, for God's sakes, published a joint paper on blockchain technology and CBDCs on September the 26th. The study concluded that CBDCs could serve as a useful tool for stabilizing the cryptocurrency economy, including the DeFi sector. The paper specifically mentioned recent remarks by Bank de France Governor Francois Veloy de Gaulle, whatever, who argued that CBDCs are not about the big brother of central banks threatening the free world of decentralized finance. He stressed that CBDCs would rather be about providing further tools to help make DeFi successful and sustainable. Cypherium CEO Sky Gao expressed confidence that the combination of DeFi and CBDC technology is destined to happen, stating, quote, DeFi is fully automatic and can free CBDCs from human limits. 
With CBDC used in DeFi, we can expect hundreds and trillions of dollars of liquidity brought into this market. Big institutions getting in this space and real-world assets moving on-chain. He doesn't get it. You can't have real-world assets on-chain. That's impossible. It can't be done. It can't. Continuing, sorry. The SNB study is not the first time for a central bank to think about possible interactions between CBDCs and DeFi. In April 2022, central bank officials discussed potential interactivity between DeFi-based markets and CBDCs at a conference co-hosted by the Bank for International Settlements and their Innovation Hub and the Swiss National Bank. As previously reported, the general public has been largely opposing the idea of CBDCs due to the associated lack of privacy, with many referring to such projects as slave coins. It remains to be seen whether central banks are really willing to contribute to the DeFi adoption because the world has not yet seen too much support for crypto from central banks. I wonder why. The news comes amid major European banks continuing to test cross-border retail and remittance payments with CBDCs. On September the 28th, the Swedish, Norwegian, and Israeli central banks announced another project to test international payments in CBDCs. All right. Okay. So if you can read between the lines here, what you should be noting is that central banks have figured out that they are fucked from two different directions. One is the direction from their own making. Okay, they, they've completely screwed up legacy finance, right? Completely destroyed it. Ripped all the pegs to anything that even remotely resembled a real world asset, i.e. gold. And this is what they've got for it. They've got the UK's bond market freaking out. Japanese yen freaking out. Euro freaking out. And this, you're talking about th three currencies that make up, you know, what's after the United States, 60% of what's left, okay? And they're all three of those are freaking out. Now, they're fucked from another direction too, because Bitcoin is going to kill them. It's going to put them in the grave and it's going to nail the coffin shut and it's going to just bury them little bastards alive. And they can't have that. All right, so they're, when the ship is sinking, watch where the rats go. Sadly, well, actually not sadly, happily, they're boarding another sinking ship. DeFi is just nothing but a scam machine, right? Okay, at least, at least right now. But once the central bankers get into it, and that's where they're going, that should be very clear from this article. And from what I've read a, a few articles over the last couple of days, that has talked about central banks talking about CBDCs and DeFi and, and, and crypto and how they need to be involved with it. You heard Christine Lagarde the other day begging everybody to, to, to still think of them as relevant in this new age of digital currencies. And no, they're not relevant at all because all they're going to bring with them is the exact same mentality that was used to crush the legacy finance system over the past. 70, 80, 100 years, okay? That's why I brought you this particular article, okay? I know you don't like DeFi. I don't like DeFi. I, I find it completely worthless, right? But that's the direction the Bank of International Settlements, Christine Lagarde, 
Central Bank of Japan, Swiss National Bank, all these guys, they're going to ape into DeFi and CBDCs as hard as they can. And you know what happens. We've seen it before. We saw people aping into NFTs. That's where we got the aping in thing. We saw people aping into SushiSwap. We see people get liquidated again and again and again and again. And that's why I Bitcoin. Now, U.S. bill, it's a draft bill right now, but U.S. lawmakers have a draft bill to allow Bitcoin and crypto into 401k plans. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick, three Republican members of Congress presented a bill named the Retirement Savings Modernization Act designed to enable investment managers to offer Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in their 401k plans per a congressional filing. The proposed bill amends the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974 to add classifications to the types of assets fiduciaries are permitted to offer. Quote, a fiduciary shall not be liable for a breach of fiduciary duties under this section solely for recommending, selecting, or monitoring, damn ad, sorry, uh, monitoring any covered investment as an investment option for a plan, reads the bill. The document continues to define a covered instrument and list digital assets along with other standard assets which can be managed within a standard 401k savings plan. Congressional sponsors of the bill include Senator Pat Toomey of the Senate Banking Committee, Senator Tim Scott, and House of Representatives member Peter Meijer. Uh, he's out of Mich- Michigan, so if I, I any uh, Michiganers out there, I uh, didn't mean to mispronounce your guy's name there. Anyway, quote, our legislation will provide the millions of American savers invested in defined contribution plans with the option to enhance their retirement savings through access to the same wide range of alternative assets currently available to savers with defined benefit pension plans, said to me per the report. As the midterm elections approach in November, what a shit show that's going to be, we are heading into the lame duck session, which typically sees lawmakers stall on voter moving issues as political incumbents being removed from office or considering legislation before their successors take the reins. Additionally, another report suggests that Toomey plans to introduced the bill as an end-of-year tax package deal meant to boost overall retirement savings as the bill is not only applicable to digital assets. Fidelity Investments launched the first Bitcoin 401k earlier this year with Bitcoin bull microstrategy being the first company to pledge to utilize the product. Okay, I have said for a long time that a spot ETF in the United States would be applicable for allowing institutions of all types to be able to buy Bitcoin for 401k packages. This short circuits that. You wouldn't need a spot ETF if this bill gets passed. And if this bill gets passed in its kind of in its draft form, which you know is not going to happen. There's going to be a lot of riders on that son of a bitch. And that's even if it goes if it even goes anywhere, you know, I lots of bills are introduced and yeah, we get happy about a lot of them and then they all just die. But it's interesting that the landscape isn't only about a spot Bitcoin ETF, right? There are other ways to allow people to get Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin in their 401ks and other retirement packages. And this is one of those ways to do that. 
So if this passes, you don't need a spot Bitcoin ETF. And yeah, I hear you now. You're yelling at me. We don't need one anyway. I, I get it. I get it. I'm just saying. Now, <clears throat> talk about being totally diapered. 45% of ETH validators are now complying with United States sanctions, according to Labber's CEO. Yeah, yeah, for almost half of the ETH validators, you knew this was going to happen. And it's going to continue to happen. Luke Hugslut from Cointelegraph tells us more. According to the CEO of blockchain development agency Labris, Lahan Fini, approximately 45% of all Ethereum blocks currently being validated run MEV boost relay flashbots and comply with United States sanctions. Speaking to Cointelegraph in an interview on September the 30th, Feeney noted that while reports have stated that 25% of all blocks validated since the merge complies with United States sanctions, this is a lagging indicator and the current number is likely to be closer to one out of every two blocks. Feeney pointed out that MEV boost relays are regulated businesses often U.S.-based businesses, and are censoring certain transactions in the blocks that they build, particularly transactions from Tornado Cash. The CEO also pointed out validators have a financial incentive to use MEV boost relays, which would drive an uptick in their usage, noting, quote, the issue is that from the validator's perspective, these guys are paying them to sort of do this. So if you want to make more money, you just turn this feature on, and as a validator, you sort of boost your yield. End quote. MEV boost relays are centralized entities dedicated to efficient, maximal, extractable value extraction. That's where the MEV comes in. With Flashbots being the most popular, MEV boost relays effectively allow validators to outsource block production and sell the right to build a block to the highest bidder. Labris released an MEV watch tool on September the 28th, which can inform validators about which MEV boost relays comply with Office of Foreign Asset Control, otherwise known as OFAC. Referring to the motivation behind the tool, Feeney said, quote, we're just trying to raise some awareness for those who are unaware that by running the software, they are potentially contributing to censorship of the network, end quote. Nobody cares in Ethereum land, Feeney. He noted a worst case situation often referred to as hard censorship where, quote, nodes would be forced by regulation to basically discard any blocks with any of these transactions in them. That would mean no matter how long you waited, no matter how much you paid, you would never get to a point where those sanctioned transactions would get included in the blockchain, he explained. He also pointed out that even in the event of soft censorship, where sanctioned transactions would eventually be validated, it could take hours and require a high priority fee, resulting in a subpar user experience. These findings are reinforced by Ethereum researcher Tori Warshauer, who published research on September the 28th, suggesting that of the 19,436 blocks verified by the Flashbot MEV Boost Relay, none included a Tornado Cash transaction. Censorship fears were prevalent before the merge. Speaking to Cointelegraph, the lead investigator for crypto compliance and forensic firm Merkle Science, Kobe Moran, suggested the prohibitive cost of becoming a validator could result in the consolidation of validator nodes to the bigger crypto firms who are much more susceptible to being influenced by government sanctions. And the shit rolls downhill, ladies and gentlemen. And this is what it looks like when shit rolls downhill. 
and we all knew it was going to happen. We were talking about this very thing last year when they were constantly delaying the merge because of some problem in the code or something like that. And now that the merge has happened, exactly what we were saying one, two, three years ago is almost all true already. Already. It, that didn't take any time at all for all of us Bitcoin maximalists to be proven exactly 100% correct. We've been saying this shit for years and it's coming true and it's going to get worse. If you go back and listen to any of the Bitcoin maximalists talk about what's going to happen to Ethereum, you might as well go ahead and do that now so you can figure out the end of the story or you can wait for a week and you'll probably get the end of the story anyway. But here's the kicker in this one, if I can find it again. Oh, do, do, do. Let's see here. A worst case situation often referred to as hard censorship where, quote, nodes would be forced by regulation to basically discard any blocks with any of these transactions in them. Okay. What the way that I read that is that let's say I am an, uh, an ether head and I've got a transaction and I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong and I'm not on the OFAC sanctions list. And then a guy, I don't know, next door is totally bad man right? According to OFAC. And, he, and, and he's been sanctioned a hundred million times by OFAC. He's on every red flag list you can imagine. And he makes an Ethereum transaction at the exact same time. And both of our transactions are going to be considered to be placed into a block. So that block can get validated and put into the blockchain. Guess what? Because he's on the OFAC list, my transaction doesn't go through. I got to wait for a block that's 100% clean I think that that's how he, what he is saying. You're talking about the complete annihilation from the inside out of Ethereum, and it will only ever be useful as, I, 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 honestly, I don't know what it's going to be useful as. If you can't transact because somebody you don't know is not allowed to transact, then you don't have anything of note. You don't really have anything at at all. So let that be a lesson to, let this be a lesson to all the people that just pointed at us and laughed for being Bitcoin maximalist, because what we said was going to happen is happening. And MicroStrategy is not going to let anybody get away with it because they are looking to hire Bitcoin engineers for building a lightning platform. Sean Amick, Bitcoin Magazine. Software analytics firm MicroStrategy, the largest corporate holder of BTC, is hiring a Bitcoin software engineer to build a new Lightning-based enterprise platform. The software-as-a-service product will provide institutions with innovative solutions to cybersecurity challenges and enable new e-commerce use cases per the company's job listing. A MicroStrategy has risen to become not only one of the largest holders of Bitcoin in the world on its balance sheet, but also for trying to expand the ecosystem in creative ways. When Michael Saylor stepped down from his position of CEO to become executive chairman, he announced that the decision was made so he could focus on Bitcoin initiatives and acquiring yet more BTC. MicroStrategy's continued foray into the ecosystem builds on Saylor's previous intentions to focus purely on expanding the network. In fact, in accordance with his often discussed Bitcoin maximalist ideology, the job posting lists a few things that should be the focus of anyone looking to apply to the engineering position. The company wants applicants to have contributions to Bitcoin Core, 
and experience with software as a service solutions leveraging Bitcoin's blockchain or the Lightning Network. This past August, Saylor and MicroStrategy also became the target of the D.C. Attorney General, who announced his intention to sue both parties for alleged tax fraud. Uh, yeah, about that. You haven't heard anything about that, have you? Because he's, that Attorney General is probably busy filing more lawsuits against anybody that he sees crossing the street in a jaywalking fashion. Uh, if you did not know about this guy, let me tell you, and I, you can go back a few episodes, I was talking about it. I read through his Twitter. And he is, it's nothing but having breakfast with his daughter and who he's going to sue next. Seriously. I was just, I was just looking live on the air. Didn't even have it prepared. I just had his Twitter thing up and I started from the top and started reading it. And as I scrolled, there was at least five instances of him suing somebody. They were going to sue, you know, Alcoa, or they're going to sue a a union, or they're going to sue this or that. Don't be freaked out by the Washington, D.C. Attorney General suing Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy. It's just a bunch of hot air. He's vying for a larger position for his life. And that's it. Most of those lawsuits aren't going to go anywhere. Let's run the numbers. Well, oil is kind of getting pummeled again today. 1.5% to the downside for uh, West Texas Intermediate. Brenton North Sea down a half point, $88.05. Natural gas is the only thing up, but only by 0.16%. $6.88 for a thousand cubic feet of the smelly stuff. And uh, gasoline is down just over 1%. Two dollars and forty-eight cents a gallon. Shiny metal rocks are mixed. Gold and silver winning today. Silver the biggest winner. One point six seven percent to the upside. Gold point two two percent to the upside. Clocking in at sixteen hundred and seventy-two bucks. Platinum down point six. Nope. Zero six point zero six. Platinum. Copper down point three nine percent. Palladium down one point one eight percent. Agricultural futures are fully mixed today. We got wheat being the biggest winner at 4.6% to the upside. Biggest loser today is coffee, 2% to the downside. Corn coming in at 2.91% up. And Dow down a half point. S&P down 0.18%. NASDAQ down 0.18%. And the S&P mini clawing back some of its losses, 0.75% to the upside. What's Bitcoin doing? Well, it's got a little bit of a bump, $19,768. We've had 1.7 million BTC change hands in the last 24 hours. That is uh, with average transaction values of 6.02 BTC, median transaction values stable, 0.024 BTC, $473.96. Block times are hideously low, 8 minutes and 40 seconds, with 0.1 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 16.3 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. A slight 1% dip in hash rate clocks us in at 233.5 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin holding at 6.1 United States pennies. So there's your shitcoin indicator. We have 4,911 transactions waiting on two blocks to clear. 
You got a $378.5 billion market cap, which is 3.44% of gold's market cap. You can get 11.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,164,810 of, and 4,911, wow, that's weird, of those are in the Lightning Network uh, 96.9 million in value, 17,206 nodes that it's running over, and those are sporting 84,919 payment channels, another drop in Tor capacity. Only 69.3% of the Lightning Network is running over Tor now. Yesterday it was 69.4. I've seen it as high as 75%. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Researchers allege Bitcoin's climate impact closer to digital crude than digital gold. Martin Young, Cointelegraph. Whoop-de-doo, this is going to kick off a, a little bit of a section. So buckle in, ladies and gentlemen. The Bitcoin bashing has continued unabated, even in the depths of a bear market with more research questioning its energy usage and impact on the environment. The latest paper by researchers at the Department of Economics at the University of New Mexico, published on September the 29th, alleges that from a climate damage perspective, Bitcoin operates more like digital crude than digital gold. The research attempts to estimate the energy-related climate damage caused by proof-of-work Bitcoin mining and makes comparisons to other industries. It alleges that between 2016 and 2021, on average, each dollar in BTC market value created was responsible for 35 cents in global climate damages, adding, quote, which as a share of market value is in the range between beef production and crude oil burned as gasoline and an order of magnitude higher than wind and solar, end quote. The researchers concluded that the findings represent a set of red flags for any consideration as a sustainable sector, adding that it is very unlikely that the Bitcoin network will become sustainable by switching to proof of stake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quote, if the industry doesn't shift its production path away from proof of work or move towards proof of stake, God forbid, then this class of digitally scarce goods may need to be regulated and delay will likely lead to increasing global climate changes. Good fucking luck, pal. Recently, Lacan Feeney, the founder and CEO of Australian-based blockchain development agency Labris, told Cointelegraph after the merge that the pressure is on Bitcoin to justify the proof-of-work system over the long term. I don't have to justify anything to you assholes. I don't have to justify a thing. If you somehow or another are able to affect anything, you're just going to make me get my own miners. I'm just saying there are always counter compassions and argument. Uh, however, the, the University of Cambridge currently reports that the Bitcoin network currently consumes 94 terawatt hours per year. To put this into context, all of the refrigerators in the United States alone consume more than the entire BTC network at 104 terawatt hours per year. Furthermore, transmission and distribution electricity losses in the United States alone are 206 terawatt hours per year, which could power the Bitcoin network 2.2 times over. 
Cambridge also reports that the Bitcoin network power demand has decreased by 28% since mid-June. This is likely due to minor capitulations during the bear market and more efficient minor hardware being adopted. There is also the argument that more mining is now carried out with renewable energy, especially in the United States, which has seen an influx of mining firms since the China ban. Earlier this month, former MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor slammed misinformation and propaganda regarding the energy usage of the Bitcoin network. And he pointed out that the metrics show almost 60% of energy for BTC mining comes from sustainable sources and energy efficiency approved by, improved by 46% year over year. Texas, which has become a mining mecca in recent years, is one example where renewables reign. It is the largest producer of wind power in the United States. Several mining operations have also set up to use excess or otherwise wasted energy such as gas flaring. In August, Cointelegraph also reported that sustainable energy usage for BTC mining has grown nearly 60% in a year, so it is not all doom and gloom. Now, what do you think? Okay, so we all know it's bullshit. We all know it's bullshit. And if you didn't know, New Mexico, the state of, is a deeply blue state. Although most of the people that are in New Mexico actually live out in rural communities. And again, if you look at it, if you look at it from a county by county situation, New Mexico is kind of like Colorado. It ain't so blue. It's a little bit more, you know, red. I just, you know, that's just the way it is. But where are the universities located in any state? Well, they sure as shit ain't out in the middle of fucking nowhere. They're usually in a city that is itself deeply blue. This is just blue versus red shit, okay? I I don't really care. It's not like I hate Democrats because they're Democrats. I just hate idiocy. And there's enough idiocy on the blue side and the red side to sink the Titanic a hundred times over, right? So be that as it may, this is part, this report is part of a coordinated attack that dropped yesterday. What in the hell am I talking about? Let's lit level 39 at level 39 on Twitter. Explain it a little bit better. Level 39 states in a tweet, media outlets precisely coordinated the release of their hyperbolic Bitcoin energy articles at exactly 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time within minutes of Benjamin A. Jones' ridiculous paper being published. This is Pope-level media coordination for, checks notes, 0.1% of global emissions. And he's got four screen grabs. The first one from The Guardian. I hate this thing. Headline reads, Bitcoin climate impact greater than gold mining study shows. This report was released or the the news... uh, dropped at exactly 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. It's got the timestamp on the article. Next one. The Verge. Bitcoin's climate damage is similar to beef and crude oil, says new study. Again, 11.01 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time is when this article dropped. Next one is Newsweek in their tech and science section. Bitcoin is as bad for the planet as beef, and it's getting worse. From our good friend Jess Thompson, who dropped this remarkably 
at 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, according to Newsweek's own timestamp on the article. Forbes, Bitcoin's environmental damage is on par with beef, natural gas, and oil, studies suggest. What time do you think Robert Hart's Forbes article dropped? Yep, 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Okay, so that was all happening yesterday. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing. Let me make sure that I'm good on this one. Here's an interesting thing. Now, we talk about coordinated attacks, but there's also this thing called embargoing. Now, in academia, it's used uh, for, it's to make sure that, that scientific papers don't drop beef or, or get published before a certain day on a certain time and nobody has access to the article itself except the author gets a chance to proofread everything and then when the embargo lifts then the publication can actually publish the article the same thing occurs apparently in news however this means that four separate authors had that report before anything and they all decided to compare it to the exact same things and 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 write the article and then they all dropped at 11 a.m eastern daylight time so chances are good yes it was but the, these articles were embargoed and that's why it looks like a coordinated attack in timing but that's not where the coordinated attack actually occurred the coordinated attack actually occurred that you got four, if not five, six, seven, eight authors all writing about the same report from some bullshit university out in the middle of New Mexico that honestly, nobody there's, I'm sorry, if you're from New Mexico and you think that the, that the universities out there are high quality, they aren't, they just aren't especially when it comes to environment, especially when it comes to agriculture, you'd think they'd be top-notch like Texas A&M University. They are not. See, that's the thing. You get some idiot whose grant absolutely depends on continue, or their continued granting from the United States government to keep their lab and their people working, absolutely depends on him or her or whoever this person is writing this bullshit and then making sure that all the journalists get it so that they can write their bullshit. And then it releases at 11 Eastern daylight time. The coordinated attack is not the time it was released. It was coordinating with the journalist, quote unquote journalist, to write their bullshit. That's where the attack occurred. Be clear on that, okay? So level 39 continues with another thread. And I'm going to read a few of these, maybe not all of them. I don't know. It depends on just how interesting they continue to be. Let's just find out. Thread, instead of shamefully promoting pyramidal yield chasing custodial schemes to separate savers from their Bitcoin, venture capitalists could have invested in energy innovation through Bitcoin mining. Here are just some examples of innovators who are changing the world for the better. Let's get into this one. Okay, meet Sean Energy. He works with Lancium, which uses Bitcoin to balance and stabilize the power grid and foster clean energy production. All of these, by the way, have an article linked to them. I'm not going to read the article. Let's just go through the tweets. Meet Digital Ore. 
He's a co-founder and CEO of Vastbean.Energy, which uses existing landfill methane to fuel Bitcoin mining and generate electricity from refuse. Meet Dan Roberts. He co-founded Irish, or sorry, irisenergy.co, which soaks up excess energy from intermittent renewables and makes them profitable and balances the power grid. Meet Jorkney5. He is lead rates and regulatory strategy analyst at Duke Energy, one of the largest energy holding companies in the United States. He explains how Duke is studying Bitcoin mining as a controllable load in the context of demand response. Meet Jay Belizaire, CEO. He is CEO of Saluna Computing, a part of Saluna Holdings, which catalyzes renewable energy after Bitcoin and other forms of batchable computing. Meet Hodel Tarantula. He's the COO of Sovereign Mining, which deploys mobile Bitcoin miners into stranded locations. He mitigates fugitive emissions from abandoned wells and restores them to prevent the leaking of dangerous methane into the atmosphere. Uh, Meet Zach Bradford. Oh, Zach K. Bradford. He's CEO and president of CleanSpark, which helps to build out renewable infrastructure and empower the next stage of economic development in communities in the United States. Meet BDG Bertagut. He mines Bitcoin with solar power to heat an enormous greenhouse for growing flowers at Bolum Bitcoin. Buy some with Bitcoin Lightning at Bolum or BitcoinBolum.com. Actually, not Bolum, Blowum. I think that's Dutch for bloom. B-I-T-C-O-I-N-B-L-O-E-M.com. Buy some flowers with Bitcoin, dude. Meet Ricardo NGV. He is co-founder at Biomining and is using Bitcoin to harness biogas from manure in Mexico. Meet StillBTC. He's working on BitcoinGreenhouse.org, which seeks to build an open source standard for heating greenhouses with Bitcoin and solar power and massive Bitcoin to help homeowners monetize their excess generation and expand solar. Meet Abraham Cambridge. He's CEO of the Sun Exchange, which is the world's first peer-to-peer solar leasing platform, which uses Bitcoin to help customers monetize the sun. Meet Going Parabolic. Jason created PR Tech or PR, yeah, PRTLTech.com, whatever. A company that uses patented technology to turn used or unsaleable tires into fuel, which is then used to mine Bitcoin, extract materials, and capture emissions to prevent them from entering the damn atmosphere. Meet Ascalia. He's CEO of Cathedra Bitcoin, which uses off-grid stranded natural gas that would otherwise be vented or flared to mine Bitcoin, mitigating massive amounts of methane from entering the atmosphere. Meet Toto. The CEO of GAM.AI, his team is cleaning up the extraction of oil and natural gas by turning harmful methane emissions into Bitcoin. Meet Hash Override. Ben is Chief Mining Officer at BitFarms.io, which has over 16,000 Bitcoin mining machines uh, using excess renewable hydropower. Meet Kachal Hove Peterson, he's CEO of Crypto Vault, which uses heat from hydrogen-powered Bitcoin mining to dry lumber. Meet Colin Sully, he's CEO at Mint Green HQ, which collaborated with Shelterpoint Distillery to use the thermal energy from Bitcoin mining to heat the distillery's mash and whiskey barrel aging processes. Meet the people of Lake Bitcoin who are mining Bitcoin with cooking oil and eventually sewage and thereby cleaning up a Guatemalan watershed of Lake Atlan. Meet Mark Morton. 
He works for Skilling Mining in Amgah, Ireland, and is using an anaerobic digesting power plant to mine Bitcoin. Dude, I want, I, I know. You're probably tearing your hair out because I read every single one of those and of course butchered every single one of their names. You got to understand where we're at. They're fighting us. You know, at yesterday I said we're at that interstitial space between we pissed them off and, and, and then they're going to fight us. No, they're, they really are fighting us. And yesterday, yesterday really brought that home. And it's not going to get any better. In fact, it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to get so much worse. And I think what happens is that people start at the same time that they make it worse for Bitcoiners, because they will and will feel it and it'll hurt. And some of us will, will leave. I, I'm not going to leave. But at the same time that that's going on, you're going to have no coiners who are pissed off about other stupid shit that government is doing, forcing them to live their lives in a way that they don't want to live their life. And slowly and surely, we're going to cut the umbilical cord from the sovereign individual to the state. It's, it's time to cut the cord. These people don't like us. They hate us and they want us all to die. They don't have any room for us in their world because their world is nothing but black ties and dinner parties and glad handing politicians and demonic artists. That's all their world is to them anymore. They don't find joy in walking through a forest. They don't find joy going fishing. They don't find joy looking at their sons and daughters unless they're looking at them to take over their Senate seat. And they better think the exact same way that the old man or old woman does. They don't like you. Stop pretending that they like you. There are people that I love dearly in my life right now that actually think these people care about them. And it's so fucking sad to watch. It's so sad to watch them continuously, continuously put their trust in people that hate their existence. You are the carbon they are trying to reduce. And yet Bitcoiners are doing all these things that I just listed off ad nauseum. Yes, I listed it off ad nauseum. We do do the right thing. We do have the ethics set to move forward without any of this bullshit. If that list of those people doing their thing wasn't enough, one of these days I might do my own thing and add to that list. I don't know, but we got to continue here with Spain's largest telecom company, Telefonica, now accepting Bitcoin and crypto payments. Bitcoin Magazine, again, Sean Amick. <clears throat> Telefonica, the largest telecommunications company in Spain, now accepts Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as payment. The payment method was added to Telefonica's online tech marketplace, TU.com, in a partnership with Bit2Me, the largest Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in Spain. I think they mean trading floor in Spain. Customers can take advantage of the revolutionary payment method by simply clicking the Bit2Me commerce payment method at checkout per the company's announcement. Additionally, Telefonica has reportedly invested in Bit2Me. Details of that investment are expected to be released in the coming weeks. 
despite the fact that users looking to take advantage of the new features simply need to add the product to the cart and select Bit2Me Commerce before paying this. There is a purchase minimum and limit is set between $200 and $500 respectively. Upon the completion of the checkout process, Bit2Me automatically converts the chosen form of payment into euros in real time, removing any technological barriers for merchants such as Telefonica. Spanish interests in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies continue to grow as this past summer, the RCD Español professional soccer team became the first La Liga team to accept the new form of payment. Additionally, Spanish airline Vueling is also set to begin accepting Bitcoin in 2023. However, Vueling chose to partner with cryptocurrency payment service provider BitPay to facilitate its new form of payment. Okay, so about this. Is it good for Bitcoin? Yes, it's good for Bitcoin. And then no, it's not good for Bitcoin because it's just automatically converted to bullshit fiat. So if you want to make sure that your Bitcoin gets sold, uh, make sure you pay your Telefonica bill with Bitcoin. Uh, uh, don't do that. Okay, don't do that. So n- now here's the other thing. Somebody will say, but David, we've got to get adoption up. Okay, how do you propose to do that? Well, you idiot, what you do is you buy Bitcoin in the exact amount that you're going to give to Telefonica and, and you use that. Why? Why? You just converted euros into Bitcoin and then made a Bitcoin payment to be converted back to euros. Why would you waste the time? Why would you waste your fucking time? Because nobody saw that transaction but you and Telefonica. Nobody saw that transaction but you and Telefonica. Who did you telegraph that to? Nobody, but you two. You're the, it's you, me, and the fence post. There's only two fucking people that know about this shit, and the goddamn blockchain is the fence post. There's the only three things that know about this. It's not doing anything for adoption. It's a waste of your time. However, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't tell people, well, hell, Telefonica's using it. But, you know, you do what you, you, do what you want to do because Ken Griffin is going to do whatever he wants to do. Citadel's Ken Griffin says, investors leaving Bitcoin, NFTs, and meme stocks is good for the United States economy. Nah, Matt DeSilvo, Decrypt.co. People moving on from the speculative bubble that is crypto NFTs and meme stocks is a positive sign for the United States economy, according to Wall Street heavyweight Ken Griffin. Miami-based trading firm Citadel Securities founder said in a Wednesday interview with CNBC that government handouts in 2020 in response to the COVID-19 lockdowns led to investors pumping their cash into speculative assets like NFTs, crypto, and meme stocks. So-called meme stock shares of companies that gain a following via social media became hugely popular in 2021 when young traders uh, bought up shares previously shorted by hedge funds of the dying video game retailer GameStop and sent Wall Street into chaos. That same year, the market for NFTs, unique tokens that represent bullshit over digital assets, became the latest craze. The assets sold for obscene amounts of cash as celebrities got involved and led to an influx of amateur investors. The newfound mainstream attention arguably played a big role in the price of Bitcoin and virtually every other coin and token hitting new highs. 
But now the bubble has burst, Griffin said, and that is healthy for the United States economy. Quote, now that we're past that moment in time and people are starting to spend those savings down to travel, go out to eat, enjoy other items in life that they want to have, we're seeing that speculative bubble really recede, the billionaire said at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference on Wednesday. Quote, and this is healthy for the economy. Money misallocated in speculative assets doesn't create jobs in the long run, doesn't help to create the long-term prosperity that makes America the country that it is, he said. Griffin added that younger people, including the ones who work for him, are into crypto because they have a more libertarian view of the world and value privacy. But he said billions of dollars going into companies that are effectively going to go broke, tens of billions, in fact, is not good for markets. A number of crypto companies, including the lender Celsius, went bankrupt this year when their business model proved unsustainable, losing investors billions of dollars. The hedge fund manager has a reputation for criticizing crypto. He once called the space a jihadist sell against the United States dollar and said his firm kept away from digital assets because he didn't want to help fund the North Koreans. Jesus, talking about some fucking hyperbole. God, Griffin once outbid a group of crypto investors who wanted to use their Ethereum to buy a rare copy of the United States Constitution by spending $43.2 million on the document. You want to talk about misallocation of funds. And that goes for the entire legacy financial sector, be it the United States, Europe, Japan, Russia, China, doesn't matter. It's all speculative assets at this point. Nothing is real. Griffin saying any of these things is laughable. He's one of the biggest speculative asset traders that there ever was because everything is, an, everything is speculative assets now. Most of that shit doesn't actually pr- produce real jobs. The only, you know, the speculative assets that produced real jobs were actually over in China when they were building all those goddamn ghost towns. You know, concrete workers, re, you know, rebar workers, you got electricians, you got plumbers, you got air conditioner guys, you got sheet rockers, you got painters, you got flooring guys. Yeah, that shit actually did for a little while create real jobs. And then what did they do? They hired a bunch of demolitionists to come and tear it all down. Not all of it, but we, you've, seen the, you've seen some of that news footage. Building brand new, never been lived in, 15 of them. Stood there for two or three years. Never got a tenant. what they do? Blew them up. Brand new concrete. Brand new rebar. Brand new. All, those, all that work that all those people, they got paid for it. Even though it created real jobs, it was still a speculative asset. Because money is destroyed. It, it boggles my mind that, that Griffin would say any of this shit. So, the war is on. And... We end with Coinbase. Coinbase embodies predatory junkyard that is crypto. Enron short seller Jim Chanos is saying, and I hate Coinbase just as much as Jim does. Let's find out what Will McCurdy has to say about it out of Decrypt.co. Famed short seller Jim Chanos has some cutting words about Coinbase's business model, calling the crypto exchange symptomatic of the predatory junkyard that is crypto in an interview with CNBC. He highlighted the high cost of the industry as being a serious issue going forward, saying this is a really high cost industry that needs a lot of activity and needs really high commission rates to make money. If you are losing money now, charging retail customers 2.5% on a round trip, 
That's not a good business model, he added. The conversation came as part of a wider discussion about the impact of higher interest rates on the United States economy. The American investment manager who heads up Kynikos Associates has built a reputation for making bold predictions since his career kicked off in the early 80s. He's perhaps most well-known for taking a short position on Enron prior to its 2001 bankruptcy. Chanos pointed out how Coinbase controls about 10% of the global crypto market and burns through $1.5 billion a quarter. Chanos said, if this is representative of the economics of the broader crypto industry, then the crypto universe has a cost between 50 and 60 billion on a trillion dollar notional, he argued. Chano's comments weren't the only bit of bearish news for Coinbase. Shares in the firm dropped more than 9.3% as the NASDAQ opened following a profitability warning from Wells Fargo, which alleged rising competition and macro pressures could hurt the company. I hope they destroy that company, honestly. Coinbase was also hit hard by the ongoing crypto winter and its stock has yet to recover from the wider plunge in digital assets of earlier this year. The company's market cap currently sits at $13.88 billion, a stark contrast to its peak of over $75 billion in January 2021. I do hope that Coinbase goes under. That rat fink, sorry, that rat fink, the CEO of Coinbase is one of the biggest enemies to Bitcoin. The wider crypto, whatever you want to call it, industry is an enemy of Bitcoin. It just is. And it's all going to act as a blade of armor for Bitcoin, except there's there's something about, I used to say that shit coins and ICOs and all that were all just going to be armor for Bitcoin. What I didn't think about, and I'm sorry about this, but what I didn't think about was the fact that if we look at it as an industry that's being attacked, All of a sudden, it's not a one-off, oh, hey, we got hit on this side of the tank. The ablative armor plate E13 blew up and did its job. Oh, look, another one hitting the front round and and F49 did its job. Uh, It's a little different when you're being attacked from all sides at the exact same time and all your ablative armor explodes at once. In that particular case, ladies and gentlemen, The shit under attack has a tendency to go kaplooey along with it. But I don't want anybody here listening to this to get sad about it. We're in for a fight. And if you're going to get all depressed, then you don't need to be in the fight. This is just me stating facts. You shouldn't be depressed. You're living in a time that most people that had been on this planet would have killed to experience. I know it, that is the, the most insane thing to say, but it's absolutely true. This is when fortunes get made. This is books get written about times like this that stay on people's bookshelves and get handed down for generations. Whole universities are built. Whole colleges are built. Schools of thought are constructed during times like this. You're living in a renaissance. And if you don't think the renaissance wasn't filled with bad fucking news all the time, then you're living in a fantasy land. The renaissance was brought about by 
hideously bad times. Extraordinary oppression. It was a horrible time to be alive. And yet, the Venice merchants were born out of that. Central banking was born out of that. As bad as it is, it was born out of that. Discovery of the new world was born out of that. You're in the one place at the time that you need to be. Otherwise, it, is, it can be a boring-ass life. Think about the guy that, like, I don't know, think about the guy that was a child in the 30s, okay, during the Great Depression, didn't even, didn't even see it. I mean, child, I'm talking baby, born, like, let's say born on that, what was September 29th, uh, 1929, whatever it was, when the Great Depression kicked off, that baby was born. Didn't see anything about the Great Depression. Now, then there were a kid in the war and maybe they idolized, you know, something about, you know, playing cowboys and Indians and going to battle against the Germans, but didn't really get into that action. You know, and then all of a sudden it's the 60s and the the 50s and the 60s and everything was just kind of, yeah. And then God forbid the 70s come around and it's like this giant recession and you got Nixon and Carter and... Gerald Ford for your presidents. These are three of the most boring guys ever. And the only thing that was even fun about Nixon is that he got caught with his hands in the cookie jar at Water, Watergate. That was it. 80s, great music. 90s, even better music. And then you see what I'm getting at? It was kind of boring. Last century was kind of boring. But in 2001, when the assholes of the world decided to link arms and sing Kumbaya by putting planes into buildings and doing their weird shit and never letting up for 22 fucking years, you end up in Renaissance 2.0. Don't get discouraged. Don't get depressed. But if you aren't ready for this fight, then you might want to just sit it out. I don't know what to tell you. I would not sit it out without cold storage Bitcoin though. I promise you that. Do if you're going to sit it out, then don't do it by not holding Bitcoin. If you're going to sit it out and you've got your Bitcoin on Coinbase and you sell it to sit it out, you're doing the wrong maneuver. You need to get your shit off of Coinbase and into a hardware wallet. You need to secure your shit. Okay? Secure your shit and then sit it out. Okay? That's fine. No one's going to blame you for it. I'm in for the fight. And it's going to be a fight, not just for Bitcoin. It's going to be a fight for my nutrition. It's going to be a fight for my energy. It's going to be a fight for my housing. It's going to be a fight for the minds of my fucking children. It's going to be a fight for the mind of my wife. It's going to be a fight for the mind of all of what's left of my family. And they are going to have to fight for their energy and their nutrition and all the shit that I just said. This isn't going to be pretty. But if you go into it in a depressed mood, you will not survive it. You won't survive it. Go shake your rancher's hand. Go find a farmer. Start figuring out another way to live. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.